if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few good reasons. First of all, it's free, so you really have nothing to lose. They have so many tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you can just be lying in your bed and record your podcast and they will also distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many, many more platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I really hope you are having a great start of 2021. I know it has been a really, really tough year. 2020 has hit us all. Um, it has been a very difficult year and I hope that this year will bring more joy in your life and just more success and happiness. Obviously, it has been a really tough year for a lot of businesses, uh, more specifically small businesses have been hit really, really hard in 2020. But at the same time, I feel like there has been a lot more ownership during last year. A lot more people are taking the risk of starting something on their own or at least thinking about it. So for that reason, I have asked Catherine Nastiva. Uh, she is an industry analyst, strategy consultant, and a sustainable fashion expert to join me today on the podcast and talk a bit more about business in general, just the pitfalls, what to look out for, um, what to put your energy in. She answers a lot of questions. Um, so I really hope this episode will be helpful to you if you are in a position right now where you are thinking of starting something or maybe you are in the middle of it. Uh, I hope this episode will provide you with some new information or some inspiration to uh, keep going. So Catherine has been lovely and she shared a lot of advice. So uh, without any further ado, this is my conversation with the lovely Catherine Nestiva. You are specialized in growing brands, um, so can you tell us a bit about what your job entails and also how you kind of help someone who, because I'm just going to start at the beginning. We will talk about everything business today, um, and obviously I want to be respectful of your time, so I prepared a couple of questions. Um, so we can hit a lot of uh, notes um, without you know, wasting a lot of time. Um, so I would like to start off by first asking you, is there a right time to start a business when we're talking about a non-essential business? So, you know, obviously there is space in the market where there is a need for a product, a service or anything like that, then obviously it's a good idea and a good time to start a business. But if you're, you know, if your passion is, is, is fashion, for instance, and you want to start um, a closing line that is sustainable, that which is awesome, but there's so much out there like that. So what can you say to people who um, are in doubt when maybe starting a business because they look around and they see that there's so much out there and it's like, what can I 
contribute to you know what I mean like if you don't necessarily need to start a brand but you want to <laughs> so can you maybe uh, talk a bit about that sure um of course uh so I mean this is a really interesting time and COVID has really just kind of turned the fashion industry on its head a little bit um you've seen a lot of you know existing businesses kind of pivot to um, providing more of the essential products and services, you know, with um, PPE, personal protective equipment, you know, like masks and shields, but also hand sanitizers, you know, that was a really an easy pivot for beauty brands um, to shift into. But, you know, I think the ultimate impact has really been felt by the fashion industry in terms of, um, you know, sales of apparel, accessories, and footwear. Um, those are, are down by, you know, at least 20% globally. Um, you know, the impact across categories and regions even has um, been extremely uneven. Um, and COVID has really devastated a lot of small businesses. Um, it's exposed what consumers deem are essential products and services. Um, and, you know, like I said, the impact has been really uneven, you know, across and even within sectors. Um, so, you know, in retail, for example, consumers are, you know, spending more money on skincare, you know, although makeup sales in the same beauty category is on the decline. Um, but then they're also spending on home goods. And then you see a significant reduction in apparel and footwear, which really reflects the shift in consumer behavior and um, the new lifestyle choices that have been imposed because of this pandemic. Um, discretionary spending, you know, during this time really lags significantly. You know, you see this even in high income groups, uh, which, you know, are nonetheless focusing on essentials like groceries and household supplies and personal care products. Um, so that being said, if I were to be starting a new business at this point in time, I would absolutely take the time to understand the general market landscape uh, shifts in the economy overall um, with a potential recession on the horizon, uh, you know, as well as consumer trends. I think this information should help inform whether or not your idea is uh, worth pursuing with your continued investments of time and money, or, you know, perhaps delaying your launch or even rethinking your idea in general. What are the common mistakes that you think that startups make? Because I, I you, you were talking about pivoting, um, but like, how do you know that you have to take your business to the next level? And when are you getting ahead of yourself? Sure. So I'm going to speak, you know, this is a, a broad question and uh, <laughs> it really depends on, you know, where you kind of sit within the fashion ecosystem, what kind of business model you're pursuing. I'm going to talk about Lozena, which was the fashion brand I started alongside my sister and mother. Um, so it was a family owned fashion house really focused on um, high end, um, you know, eco lux, ethical fashion uh, for women, women's wear. Um, one of our biggest mistakes starting out, and, you know, I guess you could generalize this, um, but it was not having a clearly defined strategy. So like all young designers, we were really excited to put our product out there and just really expected everyone to love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we didn't really think about the business side very much. So we spent a year at least trying to do everything. We did trade shows, we did wholesale, we did fashion weeks, direct to consumer. We, you know, we invested in PR and influencer marketing just to see what would stick uh, without really taking the time to figure out how all of those pieces, those pieces would fit together between our designs, our target market, production and distribution schedules. So I would say that our precious limited resources, so our time and our money were wasted as a result. 
and really uh, the most important piece of advice I would give to any young entrepreneur is to start with a plan. Of course, plans are going to change and they should remain fluid so you can incorporate your experience and learnings and then also, like you said, pivot to other opportunities that might come up. Um, but an understanding of your value proposition and how it translates to potential customers and then the ways to operationalize your strategy are really going to save a lot of headaches as you launch and grow your company. Okay, perfect. And how long should one wait from idea to execution? So for instance, um, you know what you want, you've been working on it for a very long time, but you're kind of hesitant of when to launch it. Is there a right time? Is there a strategy maybe behind that? Can you just tell us maybe what you have done or what successful brands that you know of have done before? You know, there's really no right time, you know, between, you know, your idea, your planning, and then actually the product or service launch. Um, and unexpected things can come up. Um, so even as you're going through strategy exercises and you think you have all of the, you know, you do like a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, you know, you've mapped out all of your internal um, strengths and weaknesses, analyze the external environment, something like COVID comes up and there's just, it's unforeseen and it really kind of just throws everything off course. Um, I would say that, you know, you should definitely um, have done a lot of research, especially on your target market and really analyze your competitors, really figure out where your product sits within the overall industry, the overall ecosystem. Um, fashion is an extremely saturated, it's an extremely fragmented industry. Uh, what makes it really easy for a new entrant to come in also makes it really hard for a new entrant to succeed. So it's, um, you know, it just, there's really no right time um, to yeah. launch your business. Um, but, you know, you should really be prepared to uh, not only analyze what your own internal strengths and weaknesses are, but also take stock of the external and external environment and other factors that might impact your business. Yes, absolutely. And um, I'm wondering, when do you um, when do you know that using your own money, betting on yourself is a good idea? And when should you kind of seek um, investment? This is a really good question. Um, so in fashion, especially, uh, I think, and even startups, you know, generally speaking, are I think a lot of them are self-funded at least initially unless you're really lucky to have a super high growth idea or are pretty well networked. In fashion, um, it's hard to raise angel or venture, venture capital if you're a traditional brand. So in the sense that you're a designer and then you're manufacturing clothing. So aside from some innovative business models, um, you know, like those at the intersection of fashion and tech or you know, biomaterials, uh, research and development, uh, I think pretty much you're gonna have to start out self-funded. Mm -hmm. I think female founders here are also at a disadvantage uh, where you know, investors are typically hesitant to invest in the potential of an idea, but rather emphasize experience and the need to see a strong track record of growth from women. Um, in 2019, women received only 2.8% of all VC funding. This year, even as VC funding kind of unexpectedly boomed in a lot of sectors like software, <laughs> 
early stage women-owned startups were kind of left out of the narrative with investment in female founder or co-founder teams declining by 40% in Q1 of 2020. And that's from the same quarter, you know, last year. Mm. Women are deemed inherently risky, which is why you see such a steep decline in kind of a risk averse market like this one. I think there are also other less sexy funding options available to startups, including grants and crowdfunding, which will oftentimes provide enough seed capital to launch your business. I think understanding the incentives and differences between investment and grant funding is crucial though. Investors wanna see a financial return in multiples. So a 5X or a 10X return on their investment. But small business grants, either from public or private sources are an important option to consider, especially for founders who have a social mission. These institutions are not really asking for their money back, but rather they wanna see the impact of their funding on communities, on the environment, or however your business aligns with their mission. And uh, talk about budgeting. Um, how do you make sure that you don't go broke <laughs> the first year <laughs> after starting a brand? Do you have any advice for people who have no idea how to um, deal with money, how to kind of balance, you know, income outcome um, and all of that? You know, aside from having a strategy, this is the most important thing about starting a business is understanding your resources and understanding how to spend them because it's really easy to just throw money at things, kind of see where it sticks and waste a lot of money that way. Um, so developing and understanding a budget is really crucial. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, you have to kind of align and, you know, this goes back to my previous point, you really need to have a business plan starting out and you need to have an idea of how your resources are going to align with what your marketing distribution, your brand positioning, your go-to-market strategies are all going to be. Otherwise, you're wasting, you're not only wasting your time, but you're wasting your money in startups, you know, especially if you're self-funded have a very, very limited amount of both of those things. Yeah, I know it's true. Like you, you really have to um, think about where you can put your money in and which aspects of, of building the business can you do yourself and which ones do you really need help? For instance, um, getting a lawyer or trademarking or like all of these things are, you know, obviously a must. So investing in that is a good idea. But when it comes to, um, for instance, marketing side of it, or is something that maybe you as, as the founder can do by yourself, I assume. Mm -hmm. So Exactly. And unless you're actually getting started, you don't quite understand the scale that's required. There was a statistic that I read a little while ago that said that successful fashion companies uh, usually start out with about $2 million in startup capital which is not the kind of money that's available to a lot of people. No. So when you're looking line by line at your budget and then, you know, all you're seeing is money kind of flow out. Um, you just, you don't really understand until you start talking about, you know, doing research and talking to people about how much advertising costs, how much influencers cost, um, you know, how much production is going to cost uh, when you're working with factories they usually have minimum order requirements. Um, you know, can you meet those requirements? You know, oftentimes startup businesses don't have, um, you know, the types of orders coming in to not only be able to meet those minimum order requirements, but 
also to purchase, you know, fabric and wholesale or to work with a factory to, um, to make a huge volume of products where you can bring down the prices. These are all very different, you know, aspects of the business in terms of production, operations, marketing, that you kind of all have to consider as a whole um, in order to have a, a clearer picture of the amount of money you need to invest. And a budget will definitely help clarify some of those things. Yeah, very good advice. And you mentioned um, influencers. Do you think that in this time and age that it's just like non-negotiable that you have to work with influencers? Or do you think that a brand can stand their ground in you know, a saturated industry without using uh, influencers when launching their brand? Yeah, again, this really depends. Um, so, you know, with the understanding that working with influencers is a marketing expense, mm -hmm. there are a few questions that you should ask yourself to determine whether it's the appropriate course of action. So how does influencer marketing align with your overall marketing and distribution strategy? If you're working with buyers and going to trade shows and pursuing the wholesale route, what kind of impact and return on investment do you expect that this would have in terms of conversion and sales? So probably in this case, not significant because wholesale requires different tactics than direct-to-consumer. Um, as a direct-to-consumer brand, do you have the budget to not only create samples of your product to give away, but do you have the budget to pay for the influencer's services? Mm -hmm. Depending on reach, influencers will charge thousands of dollars per post. And finally, what does the back end of your business look like? If your product goes viral, do you have the production capacity to fulfill those orders? While this kind of publicity and notoriety can be a good thing, you might be hit with the unintended consequence of a customer service debacle if your business isn't prepared to absorb this additional work. So you never know. It's a risk every single day. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a peaceful job. <laughs> because I mean, um, it seems like in this time and age that we are, it seems like everyone, or not everyone, but most people want to be entrepreneurs. Like just that, just saying that you're an entrepreneur seems so appealing. Do you think it's because of the times that we are in, because of social media, because it seems all, you know, cool, sexy, whatever? Or do you think that there is just this um, hunger for ownership? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you know, I think um, I think when we read about entrepreneurs, we see a lot of glorified success stories. Mm -hmm. And I think people intuitively have an understanding that it does take a lot of time and it does take a lot of hard work, but we don't really ever hear about all of the failures. And 90% of small businesses fail. And that's just a fact. But nobody thinks that they're part of that 90%. And so they invest a lot of their time and a lot of their money um, in pursuing this idea because what you read about is, you know, an entrepreneur who just had the tenacity and who kind of stuck it out, you know, despite all of the, um, all of the challenges and the hurdles and, you know, they were so close to failure, but they were so glad that they, you know, continued on, on their journey um, when a lot of times, when people are starting businesses, they don't have the resources to just continue, you know, indefinitely. And I think knowing when to stop and realizing that, well, maybe this didn't work um, is really so valuable. Um, and it's not to say that you can't go on and have other successful businesses 
You also hear statistics that, you know, successful entrepreneurs now had a string of two, three, four failures in the past. So that also happens. Um, but, you know, I do think that entrepreneurship is really glorified and it's just, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of time. Um, but another thing is that, you know, hard work and, you know, and money, of course, um, those are necessities, you know, for entrepreneurship, but they're not really sufficient to take your business to the next level because, you know, a lot of times it's the right place at the right time or a stroke of good luck or meeting the right person that really will, you know, take your business to the next level and make it be successful. And people discount the fact that, um, that, you know, these sort of things, they just happen to get lucky and really always talk about the fact that it was all because of them and it was their hard work and sort of ignore the fact that there are also broader forces in the world and yeah, and in the economy that um, contributed to their success. And what kind of, what or who inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Because we haven't discussed your, your humble beginnings yet. <laughs> sure, it was actually my parents. My parents immigrated to the United States, were from the Balkans. Uh, my mom is from uh, Bulgaria and my dad is from Macedonia. And they, um, you know, they really were able to take advantage of the American dream. They started building houses and um, that was their business. They're custom home builders now in central Indiana, which is in the Midwest in the United States. And, um, you know, they kind of, their initiative and their ingenuity really inspired my sister and I. And while I started my career in, interna in international development, um, I've always worked with small businesses and I've always, um, you know, worked with women entrepreneurs. And that's something that I've been passionate about, um, helping, you know, people start and grow their businesses. And I thought that I could do it myself <laughs> eventually. Is there anyone in, in the business world um, who really inspires you? That's also a good question. I'm sure I can think of a lot of people, but no one is coming to mind in particular. <laughs> right now. There are so many inspirational stories that... Um, I don't know, it's hard to pick just one, you know? <laughs> I mean, the person who inspired me, maybe maybe you you know her as well, is Sarah Blakely. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, yep. I feel like mm -hmm. where she came from and how she started with just a little bit of money, but with a lot of self-belief, a lot of discipline, courage, um, hard work, like all of these traits that you have to have as an entrepreneur, especially when you're unknown and you don't have like, um you don't really come from a cushy situation you know like don't have rich parents whatever um and I feel like her story is very inspirational and also very I think resonates with a lot of people because she really had to work her ass off and I don't know if it's I mean obviously she was lucky as well because in the time when she started Spanx wasn't you know a thing <laughs> it didn't exist so she invented it uh, that was her advantage, but um, so when talking about being, you know, in the right place, right time, you know, being a woman in America, being a white woman, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s was obviously also um, a win for her, you know, so I feel like, 
as you said, obviously hard work, discipline, uh, self-belief are all things that are really important, but also being in the right place at the right time. And I feel like her story really shows that. And she also admits that. So I feel like she is such a, I don't know, like an example for um, winning and failing at the same time along the way. You know, because now people like see her 1 billion plus uh, net worth and they're like, wow, like, you know, that just happened overnight. But when you really look into her story, it's like, whoa, like she has done things that if I were her, I was like, like, I would stop right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But she kept going. So I feel like someone like her and obviously so many other people are very like inspirational when it comes to that. So, um, so what's next for you? Do you, um, do you see yourself kind of being a consultant um, for small businesses for a long time or do you think of maybe starting a new brand um is there anything that you're working on maybe so uh right now i'm just focusing on consulting um you know i do mostly work with small and medium-sized enterprises and startup brands and emerging designers but you know i do also work with international organizations um ngos and you know kind of larger firms with textile and apparel clients uh so that's been keeping me pretty busy but also um, the door is never closed to, <laughs> to uh, starting a new brand or maybe, you know, another idea in the future. You know, like I said, there's, you know, there are entrepreneurs in my family. So um, it's always, you know, they're very supportive and it's always exciting. And, you know, we're very grateful um, to, be able, to be able to have that kind of family support behind us. Um, so, you know, it just remains to be seen, I guess, <laughs> if we think of another really great idea, then we'll probably go for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I feel like you've said so many things that are hopefully will help a lot of people when, you know, they're in doubt or, um, they just needed that, you know, push <laughs> to, to go on with their idea. Um, is there anything else that I haven't asked you and that you think that is, um, that people have to hear about entrepreneurship, anything like any advice or anything like that? Yeah, I do have actually one more piece of advice, um, which is to not worry about your failures too much and to use them as learning opportunities. Uh, for one, you probably won't be inclined to repeat those same mistakes down the line. Mm -hmm. And secondly, the things that you think are a very big deal in the moment, they usually aren't. And you'll be able to find hopefully a not too expensive solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I like to say that startup founders and CEOs, they're in the business of crisis management, at least for the first few years. And I think adopting this mindset is really freeing and it'll allow you to respond to mistakes without actually taking them personally, because things will definitely go wrong pretty much every day you're in business. So that was it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a minute to subscribe if you haven't already and review one of the episodes. Thank you so much for joining me and see you next week for a new episode.